Hey there, thanks for joining me this week. My name is Tim, and just like you, I'm on a journey to discover more about God's love, his creation, and my identity. I don't have all the answers, but I've got a lot of questions, and I've got a feeling that you do too. So, let's explore together. Welcome to The Sanctum. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sanctum Podcast. You could be listening to anyone else, David Gusick. Dr. C. Baxter Kruger or that new AMAC, but you are listening to me and I appreciate you. On this episode, I'm continuing the series on hearing God. And after taking a short break to talk to you guys about biblical monsters, um, you can check out that episode 10 uh, for that one. I had a whole lot of fun with that one. Um, But today I want to talk to you guys about prayer. So prayer is simply a means to communicate with God. Prayer is just like a cell phone. We want to talk to a friend, we call them up or send them a text. Pray is like that, but it's so much more. Generally, there are two types of prayer. A petition, where we ask God something for ourselves, or intercession, where we seek God on behalf of someone else. Both petitioning and intercession involves us actively engaging God. As a believer, we should seek to engage God every moment of every day. This is what Paul tells us to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. But how do we pray without stopping? The Desert Fathers were a group of ascetic monks that lived in northern Africa and the Middle East in the 1st and 3rd centuries. Even though some of them were very wealthy, they left everything behind, found a cave, and prayed for hours and hours a day. And that's all well and good, but it really makes it makes telling the world about a loving God difficult because you seldom interact with people. So how do we pray constantly without locking ourselves in a prayer closet? If you're like me and thought that prayer was folding your hands, bowing your heads, and closing your eyes, well, I want to challenge you. Prayer isn't just an action. It's a state of being. Let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the cosmos, the Garden of Eden, and mankind. Adam and Eve lived in a garden with unhindered fellowship with God. That's until they sinned by disobeying God. You probably know the story. There were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God had one rule. Enjoy everything, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge. And that's just what they did. Their unhindered fellowship with God was broken and they were kicked out of the garden. After being kicked out, Adam and Eve had three kids, Abel, Cain, and Seth. Genesis 4.26 says, And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his son Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Did you catch that? After Enos was born, the Bible says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Here is when men began to pray. Before the fall, mankind lived in unveiled in the unveiled presence of God. It was like God was right there walking and talking with them. In fact, after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis 3.8 That one statement tells us two things. God had a close relationship with his creation, and God also had a physical body. I'll explore the physical body of God in another episode, so keep listening for that. But back to my point, 
Unfortunately, sin separated us from God. In my opinion, the way we pray now would be totally foreign to the first people. Only after Enos do we see a separation from God and his creation. So now, our prayer lives have been relegated to a monologue with an invisible force instead of a dialogue with an intimate person. Of course, Christ removed the separation from us and the Father. But before we go there, let's take a look at the Old Covenant prayer. In the Old Testament, prayers were done in a specific place in a very particular way. Moses received instructions from God and built a place called the Tabernacle. It will be a place where God would infill a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, this is the same Ark of the Covenant that Indiana Jones found in the Last Crusade. But this is real life I'm talking about. The tabernacle was made to be mobile, so even though it was elaborate, the children of Israel could move it from place to place and take the ark, which housed the presence of God, with them wherever they went. Moses and Aaron would enter the tabernacle and speak to God on behalf of the nations in the tabernacle. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and King David desired to build a permanent place to worship, the temple. God didn't allow David to actually build the temple because of his various sins, but David laid the groundwork to allow his son, Solomon, to complete the temple. Once Solomon built the temple, the ark was placed in the inner sanctum called the Holy of Holies, and only priests who were set aside specifically for worship were allowed to enter. After that, Israel was invaded by several world powers, losing their kingdom several times to the Syrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. The temple was actually destroyed and the ark disappeared. However, it didn't stop a Hebrew captive named Daniel from praying toward Jerusalem, the home of the temple. Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, With his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. So you see that Daniel, being a righteous man, prayed toward Jerusalem in order to honor God. Daniel had a powerful longing to continue fellowship with God through prayer. But you also see Daniel's heart as well in his understanding. He made it a point to pray toward Jerusalem because he knew Jerusalem, the ark, and the temple is what housed the presence of God. So in his own way, he was trying to reach back and experience that presence of God. Let's fast forward some more. And as always, Jesus changes everything. Something powerful and meaningful happened after Jesus was crucified. Matthew 27, 50 and 51 says that after Jesus gave up his spirit, that the temple veil was torn. Now, let me explain why that's important. Remember, the Holy of Holies housed the Ark of the Covenant in the presence of God. Once the new temple was built, they set a veil, which was a large single piece of tapestry in the place of the Holy of Holies. When that veil split, it was symbolic of the Spirit of God coming out of the temple and into the hearts of men. The Holy Spirit was no longer found in a man-built house, but the only house that could contain God's presence, 
will be built by his own hands, which is you and me. That's the new temple. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I find it interesting that Paul quotes Old Testament scripture, which says that God will dwell in us and walk among us. Paul is taking us right back to the garden where God literally walked among his children. When Christ was physically on the earth, he also walked with his followers. And before he was be crucified, Jesus said in John 16 that it was actually good that he goes away. He said it was good that he goes away because if he didn't, the Holy Spirit would not come. So why is that important and what does that have to do with prayer? Well, the kingdom of God is wherever the king is. God is sovereign, so wherever his presence is, is where his kingdom is. We access the king where he is, and he's everywhere, at all times, and at the same time. The Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, is fully God. Just because the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father does not make him less than the Father. And because he is also the Spirit of Jesus, does not make him just a God force. No, my friends, the Holy Spirit is a person. Prayer is petitioning or interceding to a person. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three together, bound by eternal love, are that person. We need to know that because the fullness of God now dwells in us through the sacrifice of Christ and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, the person that we are communing with is inside of us and is inseparable from us. Typically, we approach prayer as if God is distant. If you actually stop and listen to our prayers, we can really tell. We beg a lot in our prayers. God, please do this. God, please do that. Well, if it is your will, etc. But God is not distant, and we don't need to beg. We do need to be persistent. God is closer than our skin. The Bible says that we are his body. So if we're his body, how can we get any closer to God than that? Can you get any closer to yourself than the skin on your own body? I don't think so. And that's kind of our relationship that we have with God. With that in mind, let's take a new look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus is teaching us not to be like the religious elite who pray loudly and publicly in order to draw attention to themselves. This is not to say that Christians cannot pray openly or publicly, but when we do, we should remember our purpose is to connect with God and hopefully help others connect as well. Now, verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Our prayers don't need to be fancy. If you're long-winded and have an extensive vocabulary, you don't need to be ashamed. 
But even if your vocabulary is as huge as President Trump's, God still hears you. My youngest daughter is learning how to pray over her food. You know the prayer. God is good. God is great. Let us thank us for our food. Let us thank him. <laughs> Let us thank him for our food. By his hand, we're all fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Well, she's two, and the only thing that she can remember is, God is great. Amen. And that's fantastic. I don't even want to teach her the whole thing. If she just remembers that, she's good to go. So verse 8 says, Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need before you even ask him. So God already knows what we need even before we ask. So what's the purpose of asking? The purpose of prayer is to further our communion with God. Prayer is a tool to help us realize the oneness that we already have and what we are inheriting. Now Jesus is going to, he told us what not to do. Now he's going to give us an example of what to do. So starting in verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what I want to focus on is verses 11 through 13. Now remember earlier I said that prayer should be focused on our oneness with the Father. I believe that Jesus is showing us to pray in a way that will help us alleviate obstacles to that oneness. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Basic needs such as hunger keep us from God. When we don't have enough to eat, when we don't have enough money to pay our bills, it's difficult to worship God in a way that we aren't secretly just trying to get something from him. Because the reality is we need those basic things. And it's hard to gaze into the stars when you don't have a ground to stand on. And Jesus is recognizing that. In verse 11, he says, forgive us our debts. Excuse me. In verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one is huge because withholding forgiveness puts us in a spiritual and emotional prison. Matthew 18.35 says that. He tells the entire story about the unforgiving debtor. But when someone harms us and offends us, they go about their lives, leaving us to deal with the pain. If we leave our pain undealt with, it festers and becomes anger, depression, and even physical ailments. So when we forgive someone, it doesn't excuse what that person did. It doesn't make it right. And it also doesn't make us weak. But it releases us to go on with our lives. Unforgiveness, then, is a prison in which we have the key. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation. This is important for obvious reasons. Carnal temptations are desires that are contrary to the spirit. So temptations typically lead us away from God. But this is a really interesting verse to me because it's an example of a surface level contradiction with James chapter 1, verse 13, which says, Let no one say that he is tempted, 
I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. However, the way that Jesus prays appears to suggest that God can tempt us, or at least is capable of leading us into a precarious situation. I believe when you take everything into consideration that God, in fact, doesn't tempt us, rather he tests us. The difference can be subtle depending on your mindset. I think this is worth doing an entire show on, but let me address it really quickly. When we are tempted, it is a deliberate attempt to lead us into sin. On the other hand, a test is designed to bring out the best in you. It's just like studying and taking a math test. It prepares you for the next level of your development and therefore is is a positive tool, whereas temptation has no benefit. It It is designed to bring you down. So let's continue. Here's the other part of verse 13. But deliver us from the evil one. Here Jesus is talking about our spiritual enemies, the ones that truly tempt us. When you read the Gospels in the book of Acts, you see a lot of demonic activity. That's because Jesus and his disciples were actively expanding the kingdom of God, and that caused conflict with the kingdom of darkness. Demonic possession and oppression are real, and it's hard to worship the Father when you have an enemy constantly trying to destroy us. So that's the last obstacle. So verses 11 through 13 are several common obstacles that prevent us from experiencing our oneness with God, which we already have. Jesus is teaching us to pray that God removes the obstacles of our basic needs, forgiveness, temptation, and spiritual attacks in order that we may focus on what's important, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. This ideal changes how we pray. If we take Christ's model prayer as an example, we're no longer begging our Heavenly Father or approaching Him as a Santa Claus, but we are seeking the kingdom of God. When this happens, prayer becomes about adoration and conversation. So how then do we pray without ceasing? Let's put all this together now. We are the temple of God, which means God lives in us. We are a place of prayer every second of every day. Our spirit is in constant communion with the Holy Spirit and nothing can separate us. The only real divide is the one in our minds which Jesus teaches us to overcome through his model prayer. When we realize that through Christ we become living temples, our life, our very existence, becomes a prayer. I'm out of time for this week, but join me next time and I'm going to go deeper into the subject of prayer. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out my website. I'll have some discussion questions up there for you, so if you want to dive deeper into this subject and conversation with me, just visit sanctumpodcast.com for more information. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at Sanctum Podcast. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the message and were encouraged to believe a little more. 
Feel free to check out my website, sanctumpodcast.com, for show notes, resources, and reviews. I also love hearing from listeners, so if you have a question or an idea for a show, don't forget to say hey. I'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Sanctum Podcast. Until then, be blessed.